Now, Christianity is an umbrella faith that encompasses many different denominations. Oftentimes, when people ask, now, what religion are you? The responder may errantly say things along the lines of, well, I'm Presbyterian, you know, I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, I'm a Pentecostal, and the list goes on and on for 144,000 different Christian denominations. <laughs> so the fact is, those things are not religions, but they are denominations of the exact same faith that preaches the same tenets, but has some minor variations in the way that we worship and the way that the days that we meet on and even things such as terminology. Now, I can personally attest to that terminology piece because many of you knew, I know I grew up in a very, very, very Baptist church. So this church was so Baptist, y'all, that it had, <laughs> after every offering, we would sing doxology. Some of you are like, I don't even know what the word doxology means. But it's the praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know, if you Baptist, you should already be singing it in your head right now because it's programmed in you. <laughs> also, we had the, I don't know where they buy these things, but, you know, they had the little wood cutouts at the back that talks about what hymns you're going to be going over, the uh, offering last Sunday versus this Sunday. Then you also have the attendance last Sunday versus this Sunday. That's the type of Baptist I grew up on. The type of Baptist where you had the red book behind the pew that you pulled out for what's called responsive reading. So the New National Baptist Hymnal. So in the Baptist tradition, especially as I grew up and, you know, I, I, I became on my own, I joined more charismatic or Pentecostal traditions. The room that we worshiped in was always called the Sanctuary, amen, somebody knows what I'm talking about. High five yourself today. So the sanctuary, so you know, I come here and I'm, I'm practicing to give announcements for the first time in Element, and then you know, we're talking about giving in the giving boxes. Every time I kept saying the giving boxes located all throughout the sanctuary, and then uh, Pastor Jeff, bless his heart, was so patient with me. He says, listen dude, it's an auditorium. And then so even after he corrected me, I said it again. <laughs> I'm just like, I couldn't get it right. And I could see him like just, you know, probably inside his mind, he was wanting to grab me by my face and say, say sanctuary. I mean, say auditorium. See, but it's like me, you know, he probably come out and be like, he'd be like auditorium. I'd be like, sanctuary. You know, it was so difficult, but praise God, I got it right. All three services, all four services. I said auditorium. So yes, praise the Lord for that. So now the funny part about all this is that we have our denominational difference that we have different beliefs about certain things like that. And then sometimes we look for those very things in the church. And I have a video that details just that. Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They are young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? Right. I, I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen. It's just... Okay, you cry during Cake Boss. 
So like we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm-hmm. know? We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick. Hey guys, What's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you, my name's Nick, this hey, is Molly. Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church, this is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, Ooh, wow. that's good. Big deal. He does dress his age though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Okay, oh. so there's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed, oh. no, okay, got it, yeah. perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around, okay? Right, let's Come on. do it. I do love this lobby. It's a great lobby, you know, yeah. it's not too big, not too small, yeah. it should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Now remember, it's pretty traditional here. So when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> but the one knock on this church, they still use the childcare numbering system on the screens. Ooh, oh. for the yeah. Or as the moms like to call it, the sanctuary walk of shame. Yeah. <laughs> the Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for, for us. For us. I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do. We like Feels it. Great. Yeah. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse, you know? Scripture heavy sermons? Oh, or, yeah. 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 What about uh, is it community oriented? Absolutely. Great. Oh, women in ministry? The parking situation, you guys got to see it. It's super rare nowadays. Come with me. There's like a, a maybe for when my parents we'll come into to town yeah. for a church for Christmas. Easter type of church. Like a holiday Holidays. type church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. You're just, you're just going to put that out there? Hey, just God like knows that? your heart, okay? on the next episode of Church Hunters. I think you're really gonna love this place. They take relevance to a whole new level. This church identifies as inter-denon-denominational. This pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. So while that's funny and everything, that sort of represents certain segments of Christianity uh, today, where you know people can potentially look to either be catered to or either try to overexert their influences based on their own styles of worship or their own personal beliefs. Now, both of these types of uh, worship or both of these types of perspectives can be really detrimental and dangerous. But today, we're going to be exploring what it means to worship God the way he intended for you to worship. Okay, not just you in general, but not the third person general you, but you in specific because we all have our own callings and God created all of us to worship as we are. Now, I'm going to tell you all today, this is going to be a message of liberation for so many people who have had to measure up to somebody else's standards for their whole life. Today, we are going to learn that God accepts us for who we are, and we have been given a way to worship God the way he created us, and we don't need other people's approval except for that from God. 
Now, I'm already preaching. Let me slow down. <laughs> so now for all of those of you who don't know me, my name is Fred Gallup, and I'm a pastoral resident here at Element Church, and I am so delighted to be spending my Sunday morning with y'all. There's no better place I could have been than right here, as we say, in the house of the Lord. So I'm also proud of y'all because it's CFD and y'all in church. <laughs> this is my first one, so I don't know how everything works so far. So, um, but we want to spend, send a special uh, shout out to y'all. If this is your first time visiting us, whether it's here in the auditorium, I didn't say sanctuary. So whether it's here in the auditori- uh, auditorium or I almost mixed the two together. <laughs> Whether it's here in the auditorium, I got it right, or whether it be via video screen somewhere. Also, if um, you don't believe like we do, we're glad to have you here. We're going to love you despite the fact of what you believe. So we would love for you to join us after the service, which is going to be approximately an hour long, through, those, through these double doors into the area called the living room, where some of our volunteers are just going to love on you. So now, over the past few weeks, we've been preaching from a sermon series titled What? I need y'all to say it a little bit stronger than that. Glory, that's what I'm talking about. And that's been taken from Romans chapter 11, verse 36. Now, I get to take a break right now. Y'all about to read this scripture, Romans 11, 36. So every time it says glory, I need you to yell it out, okay? So on three, one, two, three. You, you forgot. You forgot the for everything. Like, like you, you, you forgot that part. Y'all, y'all was real excited. So you know, praise God for that. But you know, what? let's start over. So, all right. So one, two, three. There we go. Mm. Woo! Y'all sounded good this morning. Give yourselves a round of applause. Yes. All right. So. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul articulates what it means to be transformed by Christ and to place our faith in him. People who are changed by Christ can now walk in the conduct of Christ. And from that transformation, the glory has the ability to unite us rather than leave us in our own pockets. And throughout today's message, we're going to be utilizing the New Living Translation version of the Bible. So, but if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to have the scriptures up on screen. Also, we have versions for you out there. And throughout these double doors, you can grab one for free before you leave. It's our gift from us to you. So the main scripture today, drum roll, please. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Now, I'm not going to be reading this whole thing, but what I'm going to be doing is isolating a few different scriptures, and we're going to be talking about these things and how they relate to us. So now, just a little bit of context about the book of Romans. So the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul during his third missionary journey when he was going out throughout the whole, uh, the Bible says the whole world, um, throughout the whole Roman world, he was going and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So while he was imprisoned, he wrote this letter to the Roman church because he heard about all the division and all the strife that was happening there. So now, what's that strife that you ask? In the, in the year 49 AD, the emperor Claudius, he had something really against the Jewish people and the Hebrew people. So what he did was he expelled them out of Rome and then the, the Gentile or the non-Hebrew one, they, they converted and then they came into the Christian faith and they didn't really have a blueprint about how to do this whole Christian thing. So they worshiped the best way that they could. 
So now when uh, the emperor allowed the Jews to come back some time later, the Jews came back and found a very different church than what they had left. For one, people were now worshiping on a different day. They were eating certain foods that, were, that was considered the Jews to not even be food. They weren't circumcising themselves. So the Jews and the Gentiles, they had a major clashing, a major butting of head based on race, ethnicity, and even worship styles. But it was the worship styles that made the biggest heartburn for the Jews because the Jews were saying, listen, we have this whole prescription of how we should worship and y'all aren't doing it. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were saying, no, (laughs) I'm not about to do all that. I don't know anything about it. That's what y'all do, and that's great. And they said, don't push that on us. So they had like a constant sort of clashing. So in order to address this in Romans chapter 14, Paul addresses those who are weak and strong in faith in verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 9, he addresses the reverence of certain days of the week and also whether or not to eat certain foods. Then he addresses in verses 10 through 12, accepting one another despite some theological differences within the same faith. So with all these different ways of worship and, you know, contradictory sort of things going on, we have to ask the question. Today's big question is turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. How did God create you to worship? All right. So now there are three things I want you to remember here within today's message. So those three things are first, you are not qualified. I know somebody's like, what? A preacher telling me I'm not qualified? My spouse told me that this morning. I got to come to church and I got to hear it. (laughs) So and then secondly, God created you unique for a purpose. Lastly, worship requires everything. Everything. So for today's lesson, we're actually going to be utilizing a very important person in the Old Testament. You may have heard of him. His name is King David. He's kind of a big deal. So now, first point. You are not qualified. It's like, come on, preacher. How are you going to sit there and tell me? And you're supposed to be uplifting me. You're going to tell me I'm not qualified in church when God's supposed to love me. But we're going to be, we're going to be qualifying this qualification. So you're not qualified sometimes because of man's arbitrary requirements of you. It's a key difference here. So look at Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Normally in the Baptist church, we'll say, when you have it, say amen. But it's on the screen, so you can say amen. All right, so Romans chapter 14, verse 4, it says, Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. See, remember, in this, in this infant church, this what we call primal church, there was so much controversy about how people should do things to the point that they had to have a whole council in Jerusalem about what we Gentiles should be, should be required for as regarding the law of Moses or not. So that's the Old Testament 613 laws. So the Jews were on one hand saying, you're not qualified to be in this covenant because first, you're not even circumcised. Secondly, you eat disgusting because you're eating all that bacon and, and, and shrimp and, you know, all that hog maw and pork chops and, you know, all the things that Southern people eat. <laughs> 
So, and then also, you're not even worshiping on the right days. The, the Sabbath is, you know, so they just had issues with one another. They said, you're not even qualified. Whereas on the other side, the Gentiles were saying, you're not qualified to come in and tell me what to do. First of all, we've been doing this without you, baby. Y'all been gone for a while and we figured this thing out and Jesus loves us for who we are. So, man. Nah. <laughs> so, we're going to be using an example with King David from 1 Samuel chapter 16, where it's kind of David's sort of recognition, the first time he really pops on the scene. So you have the prophet named Samuel. He's coming in and God says, you know what? I, I'm about to anoint a new king because I know what King Saul, Israel's first king. I know he's about to fall off and do some things that I don't, I don't, I don't like from him. So David, you're, you're the next man up. So Samuel goes in. And then Samuel, you know, he's, he's walking into the town. He's looking to anoint somebody as king. And then he comes across this dude named Eliab. So it says when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and said, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance of height, for I have rejected him. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. Now, the problem is that Eliab, he looked like a Hebrew king. This man was tall. He was dark. He was handsome. He was fit, you know, kind of like yours truly. You know, <laughs> at least that's what my wife tells me when she wants me to do something nice for her, like wash the dishes. And it works every time. You know, it's basically manipulation and everything. But you know what? Cool. Just keep complimenting me. You get what you want, sweetheart. So now... But God said, man, you're looking at the wrong things. You're looking at how this man looks. Because like Saul, Saul, Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He was the man's man. But however, he had a lot of things internally that was not right by God. So here's the, here's the point. You may not always fit someone else's expectations. And that is perfectly okay. Because it's God who, 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 who creates the expectations and then puts those things inside of you so that he can pull those things out of you. Now, God looks at the heart of the individual and he doesn't care what you look like on the outside because God created you in his image, in his likeness, and will draw his purpose up out of you for that. So now, going down a little bit into verses uh, 11 through 13. So Saul comes, God, God directs Samuel, I'm sorry, not, not Saul, but Samuel. God directs Samuel into the house of Jesse. And then there, Jesse brings out most of his sons, except one. So he lines them all up, all these good-looking Hebrew dudes. You know, they had the rips going on, the traps. You know, they had the, the chest. You know, they just, they just, they just look good, some good-looking Hebrew men. All of them are fit to be king, or so he thought. But then Samuel, Samuel asks, are these all of the sons you have? There, there is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he is out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once. Samuel said, we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And as the Lord said, this right here, this right here, dude, this is the one. That's the new King Freya version. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil and he had brought and he anointed David with it. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Saul, Samuel, returned to Ramah. Now, here's the crazy part about this. The irony is that this, first of all, this never happens. The youngest of the house was chosen. 
He was not even prepared and anointed and bathed in order to be recognized, but he was the one that was chosen. He was dirty. He didn't fit the mold. But the good thing is, is that he was in his rightful place doing what he was supposed to be doing. God recognized him there and saw the heart of the man, how he fought the lion and the bear on the backside of the mountain, protecting the sheep. And God said, that's the qualities that I'm looking for in a king rather than physical things. So, so many times you are going to judge others and others are going to judge you based on how you look. When God says, I am not concerned about that at all because I've placed purpose in this individual and I will get the glory from the purpose that I placed inside of them. Now, David, he had every right to feel rejected. It's like, you mean to tell me y'all going to have this little ceremony Y'all going to have this party and I'm out there still working. I'm stinking. And y'all going to bring me out not even bathe. David had every right. But the thing is that David knew who God called him to be. David did not allow anybody to make him feel like a victim. And a lot of times you don't even know that you're a victim until somebody tells you that you are and you assume that identity. And then from then on out, you are powerless. But then when you recognize who God has placed in you, you're operating in that strength and the strength that he gives you. There is no victim mentality because the Bible says you are an overcomer. There is no weapon that is formed against you that shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, it says you will be the one that's going to condemn that. So death to the victim mentality because we are overcomers through the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself and say, self, I am worthy because of who Christ created me to be. And another thing about this is that David was off to the side. Oh, this is good right here. This is good right here. David was set off to the side by what man did. But God had a plan in this. The Hebrew word for holy is kadosh. And guess what it means? It means to set apart. So it was already part of God's plan that David should be rejected by his family so that he could stand in the face of God, y'all. Sometimes you're going to be rejected simply so that God can set you apart and bless you in front of everybody. So when I was stationed in England, we had this guy in our church named Brother Dan, good old Brother Dan. Love Brother Dan. Still to this day, he said something that rocked my world. Um, you know, because, you know, as we go through this Christian thing, man, we struggle with identity a lot of times. You know, it's like, do I look a certain way? Do I sound right? Am I doing this whole thing right? But this is what Dan said. Dan said, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So you may not feel qualified to do certain things, but guess what? It doesn't matter how you feel. It's about what God placed inside of you. So make no mistake about it. There are going to be some well-meaning people who are simply going to throw you off to the side. Yes, David was disregarded. He was abused. He was spoken negatively of. He wasn't even thought to be worthy to be with the rest of his family. But the thing is, God valued David, and David found his value in who God is, and that was the only thing that mattered because when he started walking in that, he knew he had kingly authority. So, now, second point. God, he created you unique for a purpose. Now, some of us may use terms like weird, <laughs> which could be. But I prefer the term 
unique. You know, I'll give you an example of a weird person. Me. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Virginia. Um, like, you know, I'm, you know, mainly black area. I'm the dude who like anime. <laughs> I like Dragon Ball Z. Naruto, X-Men, you know, the comic book sort of stuff. I played soccer and basketball. I was like, you playing soccer? Yes, I was different than everybody else. And I struggled with that for a long time. However, and then here's the crazy thing about it, too. I had a bad speech impediment, y'all. Like, when we talk about somebody who stuttered, it was... It was like, it was that type of study where it looked painful, <laughs> but you know, God did something. I don't know. But you know, the thing is God created you unique with purpose. So Romans chapter 14, verse six, it says, those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord since they also give thanks before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. So what does this all mean? Some of y'all are saying, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, because I can eat my bacon. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Pig. <laughs> so, but some of you are like, man, thank God I don't have to do these sort of things because that was given to a group of people to keep them holy until the Messiah came. But then, so they come in again, they have this head button sort of thing going on, but God specifically ordained it so that the Hebrews were exiled so that the Gentiles could learn who he is apart from workings of the law of Moses. That is good news because we don't have to do these things in order to find favor in God because good news is God has already favored you. That's why he saved you and sent his son to die for you so that he could clean you up. Now, the Sabbath day was a major point of contention. Now, you got to understand that these people really had issues, man, because the, the Bible's, the, the Hebrew scripture says that you must honor the Sabbath. It says above all to honor the Sabbath. But in this case, they weren't doing so. So they had issues with that. But the thing is, is that Paul says to eat, drink, worship on whichever day you want to with a clear conscience. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38 through 40, um, what's happening here is that David, he was going out to fight Saul because he had this, this giant man who was basically making fun of all the Hebrew people. And everybody was scared to go out and fight him. So David, this little anointed king, you know, comes on the scene a little bit later on. And he says, you know, I'll go out there and fight him. But then what Saul does, Saul says, you know what, David, I like your spirit, dude. I'm going to put my armor on you, my armor of mail, my chain mail. I'm going to give you my sword, and you're going to go out there and fight this giant. But then David says, he puts the armor on, and then he walks in, and he says, this is not going to work. I don't fit this thing. And to the glory of God, if David had not chosen to stand firm on the fact that, he, that that's not his calling to walk in his armor, we'd be telling a different story altogether about David and the whole Hebrew people. Instead, he walks in the ability that God gave him and he used his own slingshot with five smooth stones and only took him one to kill the giant. So, had, so Saul had the greatest of intentions, but those good intentions were not God intentions. That that's the difference is that so many people will have good intentions for you. They will want you to fit their mold. But God says, he instead says, I want you to fit the mold that I created you to walk in. 
Now, how this pertains to us is that so many times we think we are not qualified, y'all, because we don't look a certain way or we still got issues with cussing or, you know, we got some issues with drinking. And then so we refuse to fully surrender ourselves to God when God says, forget about all that. First thing first, accept me as Lord and Savior. Next, make the mental and spiritual decision to surrender all to me. We'll deal with everything else left, or we deal with everything else next. So do not let your little minuscule issue stop you from worshiping God the way he desires. Because if you think about it, so many people are so ashamed by their, by their own failures that they say, you know what, God can't forgive me. God, trust me, God is not in heaven talking about, oh my God, did he wow, did he have another, did he cuss again? The horror. God has seen a lot worse. He saw a lot worse to the point where he drowned all the earth. I mean, I'm just saying, just go put it out there like that. So now, the bondage of people's expectations could be too hard to overcome, y'all. So again, walk in the freedom that God has given you and utilize your distinct talents and abilities to glorify him and him alone. Lastly, Worship requires everything. I need you, if you don't remember anything else from this today, I need you to remember this point that worship is all-encompassing. Too many times we keep God, we keep a little pocket away from God or keep our own little vices away from God when God demands it all. God, you, I make you Lord over here, but you can't have my job because I'm trying to do certain things. I, God says it all belongs to me and I gave it to you anyway, so give it back to me. Now, now in Romans chapter um, Romans chapter 14, verse 7 through 9, Paul, he keeps going on talking about how, listen, we don't live for ourselves. We don't die for ourselves. Everything in us belongs to the Lord. And then now we talk about this sort of worship. It's like, how does this have anything to do with worship? I'm going to tell you, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, Paul uses some extremely difficult language here. He says, to serve, he says to give our all to God. He says because of what God has done for us, we ought to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable worship, y'all. So any t- I need you to understand this, is that worship is never worship without a sacrifice, ever. Paul is writing from a uniquely Hebraic perspective here and an Old Testament perspective because every time that somebody went to worship the Lord, you were not allowed to come to the Lord empty-handed. You had to offer a sacrifice. And if it was for sin, it was usually an animal sacrifice. If it was your goods and services, there had to be something that had to be cut off and die so that God could receive glory from it. Now, praise the Lord, we're not up here sacrificing goats and sheep and bulls and turtles doves and you know because this will be a mess and it'd be hard to clean out of this you know wonderful staging here but on the other hand what God now expects from us is that we sacrifice our own lives now what does this mean does this mean I should lay no it, what it means is that your thoughts your your feelings your actions your desires your appetites your motives all of that everything that happens with you has to be turned over to the lord as a sacrifice you lay yourself down on the altar as a matter of fact the hebrew word for worship is the word shaka which literally means to prostrate yourself in full surrenderance but too many times a lot of us don't 
fully worship God and not in incomplete worship is not worship at all. So anything that's standing between what God has given you to worship with and what you're actually doing is idolatry. Listen, we make idols of so many different things when God said, I alone am worthy of worship. God has put purpose in you. God has put desire and meaning in you. But so many of us become lazy to the point where we don't actually actualize it the way God desires for us to. And that is an affront before God. And what we need to do is repent about that because God is worthy of this. It's a gift on loan from God, and God says, I want you to give it all to me. So whatever's stopping you from worshiping God, you have to either remove it or put it in its rightful place so that you can prostrate yourself and say, God, you are worthy of my entire being. So when we're talking about this worship, it's not just the way we lift our hands and sing songs to the Lord, y'all. It's not. It's a willful surrendering of our life. And God gives everything to us in seed form. It's like a baby. You have to cultivate this thing. You have to water it. And that watering is your obedience and is you moving past your own excuses that you sometimes justify. And it says, God, you alone are worthy and I need you to work through me so that I can fully worship you. See, the thing about worship, y'all, is that it keeps us on a straight and narrow path. When we want to just go our own way and do our own thing, worship will say, come back to me because I love you. So many times we get it wrong, but God is not. See, if, if God was, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. If God was like us, he would have threw us away a long time ago. But thank God that he is merciful and loving and forgiving. Thank you, Lord. God, that you look upon me and God, you still see the, the blood of your son. Despite the many times that I fail you, God, you still love me and you count me as worthy. So anything that's standing in the way between you and full surrender to the Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus that we can kick those things to the side and put God back in his rightful place and get rid of this idolatry. God created us to worship. But the first step in this is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What this is saying is that, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I've done things that are so wrong, Lord, but yet you continue to love me. You should judge me, but you sent your son to die for me. And then now I recognize that it's not about me anymore, but it's about him. And I receive what you did for me through the blood of Jesus, Lord. So I ask that you come into my life and you change me from the inside out. Help me to live a life that's glorifying you. That's the gospel, the believing that Jesus died and he rose again on the third day. So if you have never made that confession, we ask that you do something brave. If this is you, you recognize that this is your first step of worship. We ask that you just simply raise your hand and say, God, take me, I'm yours. So it looks like we are all spiritually healthy in the house today. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. So, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, God. We thank you for the things that we've seen and what we've heard today. God, help us to be people that can glorify you the way you deserve it, God. Help us to surrender our lives and not be limited by what other people think of us.
God, we thank you for this. And it's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.